Hello everyone and welcome to Digital Journeys. Today we're going to look at why the Power Platform. Our guests today are Jim Holman and Trace Armstrong. So with that, I turn it over to Jim. Thanks, Jerry, for having me. We're here with Trace Armstrong for Why the Power Platform. Can you tell us why the Power Platform? It's a competitive market out there. I would say that why the Power Platform is the cost. So if you were to use something like Salesforce. And Salesforce is a great tool. It has a lot of information in there, but the licensing add-ons get really tricky. So as you start adding stuff to it, the price just keeps going up and up. Microsoft does the same thing. However, what I would say is, is most organizations at this point have Office 365 licensing because whether we love, love them or hate them, we all use Excel spreadsheets. I don't care what organization you are, you're using an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. So you have to license your users for that. So at the very least, most organizations are paying the 10 bucks a month per user for a basic Office 365 E1. And I would, I think I read a statistic that like 70% of the organizations just in America use Outlook for their business email. So if all of that is true, you're already paying for these things and you're not leveraging them. So you're really getting this for free unless you start doing more complicated things like it. There's some upcharges if you need to integrate into Dynamics. There's some upcharges if you have to automate stuff with these tools in Azure. But it's pretty nominal considering the value you're getting for your basic Microsoft licensing. Trace. Given the deep integration to the Microsoft Cloud and how common cloud solutions are now, does this deep integration of Microsoft hinder connectivity into competing clouds, say AWS, Google, or IBM? It doesn't. So that is what is very different because even 10 years ago, Microsoft was very hesitant to want their customers to integrate into other cloud systems. They wanted you to buy their stuff. Well, they've opened that box a little bit more just because of how interconnected cloud environments are these days. You might need to integrate something like a good example is we had a customer who they use Microsoft for everything except they are managing real estate portfolios. And so they have to get information from Yardi. Well, how do you get that information from Yardi to do analytics and reporting on it? Well, there's API calls. So what you can do with Power Automate or even a prod product that's in the Azure cloud called Logic Apps is you can actually make IP API calls to Amazon Web. You can make calls to Google. You can make calls to even things like QuickBooks. All of that integration is possible. And in some cases, especially in Power Automate, those connectors already exist. And all you have to do is have a premium license to pull it. And so if you have a premium license, you have that ability to tap into these other systems. And the cost on that can vary. I might as well just go ahead and dive into that for you real quick too. So for Power Automate, what's really nice is, is if you just need to have an automated process running, pulling from another system, a premium account will cost you about $15 per month per user. But the beauty is, is if it's a service account, you're not having to deal with other users interacting with this. So for that 15 bucks a month, you're able to do automation and pull data from these other systems and then put them in your system, whether that's in Dynamics, whether that's in 
you know, SQL, whether that's, you know, putting something in a SharePoint list or even grabbing documents and putting them in a library, you have that ability with those premium connectors in Power Automate. And some of the premium connectors, you already have to have a license for that product. So like QuickBooks, if you use QuickBooks in the cloud, you're already going to be licensed for it. You can set up your service account, pull that data, and then even in Power BI, you have the ability to tap directly into your QuickBooks database so that there's a lot more product agnostic capabilities than there were even 10 years ago. Well, you mentioned licensing, and I think uh, that's a great seg into my next question, which is that because Microsoft licensing has always been complicated, how do you recommend organizations make sure they have the correct licensing levels based on what they want to achieve? From there, that's where having a good consultant or having a reseller help you navigate that. Um, depending on how you're going to architect your solutions, like for basic solutions, I think it's very straightforward. If you just need to use basic power automate, basic power apps, then you really don't need any help there. But if you're going to be doing more complicated things like writing to SQL through the power platform, connecting to dynamics, I need to pull this from Amazon web services. I've got to pull this from something like QuickBooks. It's at that point you really want to have a reseller or a consultant help you architect it because there have been cases, and I have actually seen this happen, where a customer built an application and they saw that there was a data gateway to an on-premise SQL server. And they were like, great, let me just add this gateway to the SQL server in the Power App. What they didn't know is the moment they did that, they converted their Power App to a premium connector. And every user that used it was getting charged an extra $15 per month per user. So they got a bill for $20,000 the next month because they had 600 users using that app daily making calls to SQL. So that's why you want to be really careful when you start doing more advanced work and make sure that you have someone to help create a roadmap and a guidance for what licensing you need, because there could be a workaround that you're not aware of. That makes sense. So Power Platform Solutions, they've got a really good reputation for usability within an organization, uh, within the domain footprint, but not so much when extending forms, tools, and automation to external business partners, such as customers and vendors. Is that a valid observation? It's a very valid observation, and that's where things can get tricky. So one thing that is helpful is understanding what a guest account is in an Office 365 tenant. So you have the ability to have X number of guests into your tenant based on the number of paid users you have, and that number fluctuates. So I'm not even going to give you a range. Just talk to your reseller, talk to a consultant. They'll help guide you there. But with guest users, they can't have an email account. But what you can do is give them access to a Microsoft team, or you can give them access to a SharePoint site. So you have some flexibility there. However, they can add edit documents, they can add and create edit list items, they can get information, they can view information, but you can't have an unlicensed user, which is what a guest is, access a Power App. Now, what is nice is for a Power Automate flow. If you have a Power Automate flow associated with a document library or list, that flow trigger is not dependent on who the user is that triggers it. It's dependent on the process. So if you have external vendors that are adding requests or if they are adding documents, those automated processes will still work with them. 
They do not have access to Power BI. So that's where Microsoft introduced the Power Page concept. This is especially helpful what I've seen from a vertical standpoint in construction or architecture, because architecture firms, they tend to work with a bunch of different construction partners in the process of a project. So what they can do with Power Pages to, you know, interact with their applications, get analytics and do all of that, they have created a Power Page for each one of their vendors that they work with. And then one to two users per vendor has access to that power page to do that in that that extra level of business process. So the guest users have the ability to go view and add edit documents or whatever in the SharePoint area. But then for the automated process area, like making requests, using a power app, viewing information on project data from Power BI, that is on a power page specific to that vendor. Um, that's an example of how that would work. So there's some free stuff you can do for guest users, and then Power Pages is where you marry the rest of it. Thanks, Trace, for talking about why the Power Platform. Stay tuned for more with Trace Armstrong in part three of the series on collaboration and workspace productivity. Thank you, Jim and Trace, for the great discussion today. And I also would like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. As always, feel free to like and share this podcast. Stay tuned for more digital journeys.